good morning. Welcome to Marlbrook Baptist Church. Good to see each and every one of you. I will start off by saying that in case you didn't notice, we don't have any heat today. So uh, if you hadn't noticed that, there is no heat. Uh, we were supposed to be on an automatic fill-up on our propane provider, uh, but apparently they got balled out. Uh, they did send us a letter and said that there was nothing we had to do. Everything would continue as it had before. But somewhere in the transition, they forgot to fill us up. And so we got here this morning, and uh, we are out of propane. Uh, so we are going to go ahead with the service. Uh, but if you are cold, and you're just sitting there shivering and shaking, and you're like, I don't know if I can do this, I totally understand, and I won't hold it against you. If you want to go on home, or if you want to go sit in your car and watch the live stream with the heat running, you know, whatever works for you, I totally get that. Uh, we do apologize that this happened, but uh, it just it seems that it ran out uh, some time early this morning and uh, we just didn't catch it and we get here and see that the building's cold and so but anyway if you want to stay I'm going to preach and uh, uh, it, it is Valentine's Day and so you know you can cuddle up tight if you want you know and uh, uh, stay snuggle up and stay warm whatever works for you uh, but do appreciate you being here it is good to be in the Lord's house we're going to start the service by reading a passage of scripture uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 I did hear that brother Danny was reading this in his class as well uh, but already got it up, so we're going to read that to start the service. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, starting in verse number 1, the Bible says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity... I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And I love these next three words. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three but the greatest of these is charity. Let's open the service with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you 
for this day. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege and the opportunity, Lord, to gather together as Christians in your house. Lord, what a privilege it is to be here. I thank you, Lord, you've given us a place to meet. And Lord, although we don't have any heat this morning and uh, the furnaces aren't working, uh, Father, Lord, I thank you that we have a place where we can gather, Lord, where it's dry, uh, where we're out of the wind, Lord, where uh, we are able to be together. And Father, I thank you for it. I thank you, Lord, for the technology that allows us to put the life stream out. Uh, Lord, so that those that are at home are able to listen uh, to the service. And Father, I pray that you will bless this morning. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll bless in all that's done. Lord, in the singing, in the preaching. Uh, Lord, in everything that we do this morning. Lord, that you will be glorified. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This time, Brother Randy's going to come and lead us in the congregation. All right, let's all stand together as we sing the love of God. Music for
you sit down, turn around, wave at each other, pull your hands out of your pockets just long enough to give each other a wave, say hello, let everybody know you're glad to see them in the Lord's house, and then you can go ahead and be seated. A couple of things I want to mention to you uh, as way of announcement uh, before the ushers come forward. One thing is... Uh, uh, concerning this fact that we don't have heat and uh, very likely that we won't get propane delivered today, uh, we will probably plan on canceling tonight's service just because uh, once the sun sets, it's going to get cold in here. And so we'll probably plan on uh, canceling tonight's service unless unless propane shows up while we're in church, it, we'll probably plan on canceling it. But I will send out a church cast this afternoon and just confirm that. Uh, but uh, I imagine... Uh, because it seems like we were smelling propane when we got here, so it seems like the propane ran out sometime this morning, which kept the building a little bit warm. But we go all day with no heat, and we start into the night with no heat. It's going to be a little colder than we want to put up with tonight, so most likely we'll cancel tonight's service. Uh, but you know what? We had Sunday school this morning, and I tell you what, I'm excited that we got Sunday school started, and we're back doing that, and the, the devil can fight all he wants, but you know what? The God's church will go forward. Amen. And so, boy, I tell you what, thank the Lord for that. Appreciate everybody came out to Sunday school this morning. Something else I want to mention to you is March 7th through the 11th, so just about three weeks away, we're going to be having a revival meeting with Brother Tim Thompson. And so Brother Tim and his family will be here with us. That's a Sunday through Thursday starting on March the 7th. Uh, so mark your calendars. Do your best to be here. Be 7 o'clock each night. Do your best to be here. You will enjoy Brother Amen. Tim. He is a right. tremendous Amen. preacher. He and his wife are talented musicians. You will enjoy coming to the services. So make plans to be here March 7th through 11th in that revival meeting. Uh, then also, uh, I'm working on putting together a program for Easter Sunday, uh, which is April the 4th. So we're working on putting together a uh, little extra special service for that Sunday morning. So make plans to be here April 4th for Easter Sunday. And then on April 8th, 18th, that's a Sunday. On that Sunday evening, uh, Brother Brent Rochester and his family will be here. Brother Brent will be preaching. Uh, his family, they play uh, bluegrass gospel music. They'll be singing for us. Uh, so just be a, a great service. Be a good service to come to and just have a great time of fellowship and worship. Uh, so that's April the 18th. So mark these things on your calendar. I know these things are a little, a few weeks out, uh, but want to let you know, hey, there's some things that are going to start happening around here. So Amen. Put these things down on your calendar and make plans to come and be a part of them. At this time, if we could have the uh, ushers come forward, we'll get ready to receive our morning offering. <coughs> Brother Terry, would you mind praying and asking the Lord's blessing on the offering? Lord, we do thank you for this awesome day, Lord. Uh, Lord, it is... Uh, Supposed to be the day of love, but Lord, there's no more love than what you've shown us for dying on that cross for our salvation, Lord. I pray that uh, if there's anyone in here, Lord, that don't know that love uh, personally, Lord, that they take care of that today. Lord, we just thank you so much for our church. Lord, it's good to be back for Sunday school. And it's just been an awesome morning, Lord. And, uh, we just shun the devil, Lord. People stay over here. Lord, we thank you so much for Pastor John just blessing his message today. Be with us uh, this time as we take up your offering, Lord. We just bless in your name. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.
righty, if you want to get your hymnals, page 666. You may not want to turn to that one, but uh, <laughs> the words will be on the screen, okay? going to come and sing for us.
dreamed I went to heaven, you were there with me. We walked along the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing, and someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man, he was smiling as he came. He said, friend, you may not know me now. Then he said, but wait, he used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. One day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you came. Then another man stood before you, said, remember the time. A missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. One by one they came, as far as the eye could see. Each life somehow touched by your generosity. The little things you had said and done, the sacrifices made. Unnoticed on the earth, but in heaven are now proclaimed. And I know that up in heaven, you're not supposed to cry, but I am almost sure there were tears in your eyes as Jesus took your hand. You stood before the Lord. He said, my child, look around you. For great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord.
that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. to the Lord I am a life that was changed thank you for giving to the Lord I am so glad you gave so glad you gave Amen. Thank you, Brother Speck. Appreciate that. Boy, he's singing. I was thinking back of all the people that I need to tell. Thank you. That you gave. Thank you that you were willing to invest. Thank you that you were willing uh, to be a Sunday school teacher, to be a pastor, to be a parent, to be whatever it was that affected my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving. Amen. We are going to be back in the book of Acts again this morning. I'm not uh, bringing a Valentine message. If you ever look at the calendar, if you tried to preach a message that went with every holiday, that's all you'd get done is preach it on the holiday. So don't have a message that goes goes with Valentine's Day today, just going to continue preaching through the book of Acts. But before we get into the message, I do want to say that I am thankful for my Valentine. And I, uh, uh, the Lord has blessed me. Uh, February, today is Valentine's Day. February is Pastor Wife Appreciation Month. And so uh, in light of those two things, I just want to publicly say that I thank the Lord for the wife that he gave me. Boy, I'm telling you what, they say behind uh, every good man is a better wife, and that is definitely true in the case of Miss Melissa. And uh, I just thank the Lord for Thank her for support. Uh, Y'all don't know the times that... I'm discouraged or I don't know what I'm supposed to do or I feel like I preached a terrible message and and she just picks me up. She just picks me up, picks me up, keeps me going and any time I need help with anything at the church, she's there, she's ready to help. Whatever I need, she'll pitch in and help with it. And actually, you know, she comes up with some of my sermons. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I do thank the Lord for my Valentine. Amen. Thank you, Miss Melissa. Amen. Acts chapter number 12, returning back to Acts chapter number 12 and definitely enjoying going through the book of Acts and seeing what we can learn about the church. And boy, so many applications that we can learn here from Acts chapter number 12. As we've studied through the book of Acts, though, uh, we have seen a pattern forming. I don't know if you have noticed this, but I'm sure once I mention it, you will definitely recognize this pattern of preaching, persecution, prayer, and power. All through the book of Acts, this is the pattern we see. Preaching, persecution, 
prayer and power. And it seems to happen over and over and over again. In the beginning of chapter number 12, we looked at last week, the church suffered severe persecution at the hands of Herod the king who martyred James because of his faith. And then Herod also imprisoned Peter with intention of killing Peter a week or so later. But in Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 18, Jesus had told Peter this. Jesus had said, And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now some folks look at this passage of Scripture, and they think that the Lord was referring to Peter as being the rock that he would build the church upon. But if you look at the full context, we understand that that is not the case at all. Jesus was talking here that he was going to build the church upon himself, and the gates of hell would not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus. Christ, that no matter what happened, no matter what the devil did to try and stop it, no matter what opposition came their way, the church of God, the work of God would continue to move forward. Here in the remainder of chapter number 12, we see the church of God moving forward in spite of the persecution that they had recently faced. God's presence was evidenced and God's power was experienced. This morning I want to point out three proofs from the remainder of chapter number 12 of God's presence in the church. Three proofs of God's presence in the church. And then in this message I want us to cha- I want to challenge us to examine ourselves personally and then to consider our church and ask ourselves this question, can we testify of the proof of God's presence in our life and in our church? And so that's what we'll be looking at this morning. We're going to be reading in Acts chapter number 12, starting in verse number 17 and read down through the end of the chapter. Now you remember uh, prior to verse number 17, Peter had gotten out of prison. He's came uh, to the house where the church is gathered together. He's knocking on the door. Uh, they see him uh, and they, uh, of course at first they just run back in the house but then they come out and of course there's a lot of excitement and everyone is talking and in verse number 17, Peter, but he, Peter, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace. He got them all quieted down. And he declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James. Now this is not the James that was martyred. This was a different James. But go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal uh, royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Of all the passage, I love verse 24. We'll look at verse 24 here in a little bit. Boy, I love verse 24. But the word of God 
grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Here in this passage of Scripture, we see this thought from persecution to power. From persecution to power. Here in chapter 12, we see the church go from persecution to power because they access the presence of God through fervent prayer. Let's get into the, let's pray and then we'll get into the message. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we have, Lord, to stand and preach your word. I thank you, Lord, for each person. Oh, Lord, that although the building is cold, oh, Lord, they have stayed to be a part of this service. And Lord, I thank you for each and every one of them. Lord, I pray that you will bless the message this morning. I pray, dear Lord, that it will uh, encourage us. I pray that it will challenge us. I pray, dear Lord, that it will convict us. Uh, Lord, that we uh, be people that experience the presence of God, Lord, I pray. I thank you for your goodness to us. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As we jump into this passage of Scripture, the first proof of God's presence uh, that we see in this passage uh, is the proof uh, of answered prayer. The proof uh, of answered prayer. In 1 John chapter number 5 verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we we have the petitions that we desired of him. These saints in the church there in Jerusalem prayed and God answered. They took their request to God and God heard their request and God answered their prayer. Whenever they went to God, the prayer request that they brought to him was unreachable. The hope that they had was intangible. But God's presence was demonstrated in the fact that he answered their prayer. The fact that God delivered Peter demonstrated the proof of the presence of God. How do we know for sure that God's presence was demonstrated in the answer to their prayer? Because the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 12, the Bible says there, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The fact that God answered their prayer demonstrates to me the proof that God was present with them. Answered prayer indicates the presence of God, while at the same time unanswered prayer indicates a lack of the presence of God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 66 and verse number 18 that we can drive Him from being attentive to our prayer. Psalm 66 verse number 18, the Bible says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So in other words, if we're not getting answers to our prayer, the problem is never God's inability. The problem is always our iniquity. 
If you're not getting answers to your prayer, don't blame God. Instead, pray as David prayed, search me and know me and show me whether there be any wicked way in me. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Peter that his ears are open to the prayer of the righteous, but he does not listen to the prayer of the wicked. The Bible tells us that he does not hear those that regard iniquity. So if our prayers aren't being answered, it is evident that there is no presence of God and it is our iniquity that has separated us from our God. I see here in Acts chapter number 12 that this church had proof of the presence of God because He answered their prayer. I see two proofs of His presence in verse 17 and 18. First, I see the proof of the testifying saints. The proof of the testifying saints. You know what? As Christians, it would be good whenever the Lord answers a prayer that we tell other saints about it. If God has done a work in your life, if God has met a need in your life, if God has taken care of a situation for you, then you come to the house of God and you tell fellow Christians about what God has done for you. We need to let folks know when God is answering prayer. We see here a proof of His presence in the testifying saints. In verse 17, Peter, beckoning to them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had delivered him out of prison. Now can you just imagine the excitement that was taking place on the front porch of this house. Here is a group of people that's been praying for a week. They have been praying without ceasing night and day. They they have been laboring in prayer. They open the door and there stands Peter. They're like, how in the world is this possible? And Peter says, if you'll quieten down for just a minute, I'll tell you how it's possible. And he begins to relate to them how the angel came into the prison, how the angel took off the chains, how the angel brought him out of the gate and set him free. Can you imagine the rejoicing that was going on as Peter testified of the goodness of God? There's proof of the presence of God in answered prayer from the testifying saints. Then Peter said, I want you to take this message and go show it to James. Go show it to the Christians who weren't able to be here. Go tell them that God has delivered me. Boy, they went, they told, they shared. Now, I'm going to take and just drift away from the message just for a moment. The last phrase of that verse, it says, And he departed and went into another place. Everything that we understand and as we go throughout the rest of the book of Acts, you'll find that Peter kind of drops out of the picture for a while. Peter went into hiding, okay? He got out of jail, but he wasn't going to hang out on Main Street either. Peter went into hiding. But just to, just to give you a little something to chew on, there is no record anywhere that Peter ever went to Rome. All right, the Catholics try to say uh, that Peter went to Rome and that is where the church was born and Peter was the rock that the church was built upon and all this. There is no record that Peter ever went into Rome. We kind of lose track of Peter here for a while. Peter went into hiding and Peter had to go hide to protect himself, but Peter never went to Rome. So all of that that everybody tries to say is nowhere found in the Word of God. That's just a little side note for you just so you can keep that in the back of your mind next time somebody tries to tell you that the church started in Rome. No, the church 
started in Jerusalem is where the church started. So we see that there was proof of the presence of God in the testifying saints, but then next I see that there was proof of God answering prayer, proof of the presence of God in the troubled soldiers. You know, when God answers prayer, not only will the saints see the proof of it, but sinners will see the evidence of God's power among His people. Now, as soon as it was day, I love this verse. I have so many imaginations when I read this verse. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What was become of Peter? I just love that. Can, can you just imagine? Can you just imagine? Live stream, guys, I'm sorry for messing y'all up here, getting out of camera. Can you just imagine the prisoner sitting there now Peter is chained to this soldier, and Peter is chained to that soldier. And the soldier wakes up. Oh, man, he's all stiff and sore. He's not very comfortable, you know. And he reaches up to rub the back of his head, and he's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hey, where's Peter? Where in the world did Peter go? It says there was no small stir. Now we know from earlier in chapter number 12, uh, we know that they had assigned 16 soldiers to make sure uh, that Peter was kept safe. Some believe that all 16 was on duty at all times. Uh, some believe that it was uh, a shift work and there was four on duty and they just rotated the shift work. And whatever the case, there were 16 soldiers uh, that were supposed to be watching over Peter. And these guys recognized, oh my goodness, uh, the king's prized uh, uh, prisoner, uh, the one that he's going to kill, the man he's going to use to become popular. We have let him go. And I see the soldiers scrambling uh, and they are asking one another uh, and they're like, but, but you you had to watch at the door. Did you see him go through the door? No, nobody went through the door. Did you fall asleep? No, I didn't fall asleep. Uh, oh, how did he get out of the chains? And they're inspecting the locks and they're trying to figure it out. And it became evident uh, to those soldiers uh, that something supernatural had taken place in the prison. Now these soldiers weren't believers. These soldiers weren't believers. And I don't know if they understood all that had taken place. But they did know that something supernatural had taken place. Whenever God works in our life, the lost world may not understand all that they see going on, but they should look at our lives and be able to say that something supernatural is going on in their lives. Something unusual is going on in their life. There was an evangelist I knew when I was a young man. He's gone on to be with the Lord now, and he drove a Geo Metro, and I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of miles was on that Geo Metro. I mean, it was like four or five or six hundred thousand miles. It was unreal amount of miles. Never had the engine out of it. Never did any work to it. He just put gas in it and drove it. And Geo themselves told him that car was never built to run that long. And he just kept on driving it and kept on driving it. And what it was was God was blessing him and the lost world couldn't understand it. But they could look at him and say, something supernatural is going on. What is the proof of the presence of God? Whenever the world says there's something supernatural going on in their life. We see that these troubled soldiers proved the power of answered prayer. In addition to the proof of answered prayer, though, I also see the proof of God's presence 
through the proof of angered enemies. The power of God will anger the enemies of God. Because the enemy of God may have the capability to outsmart, to outwit, to outpower the people of God. But the enemy of God has no ability to overthrow the power of the Almighty God. And so whenever the enemies of God try to stop and hinder and slow down the work of God by focusing on the people of God, they may feel that they are making some success until God steps in and says that's enough and God stops their progression. He stops their progress and the enemies of God become angered at the power and the presence of God. God can stop the interference of the enemy of God. We see the evidence of God's presence demonstrated here in Herod's anger at the loss of Peter. We see three demonstrations of his anger here in verse number 19. These pages stick together a lot worse when they're cold. In verse 19 it says, And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and their abode. I see three demonstrations of his anger. First, Herod sought for Peter. Now Herod was the king. Herod wasn't one that spent much time in the prison, I'm sure. He asked the soldiers and the soldiers reported and Herod never went in there. But Herod asked his soldiers, he's like, all right, so we're going to be bringing Peter out. And the soldier said, uh, King, uh, there's a problem. Peter's gone. Herod was so uh, concerned, he so wanted to kill Peter, that Herod personally goes into the prison and Herod personally seeks all through the prison trying to find Peter. And then I'm sure that he organized some search parties and he sent them throughout the town, sent them throughout the streets, and he searched everywhere trying to find Peter. But whenever he couldn't find Peter, we see in verse number 19 that Herod blamed the soldiers. When Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers. He said, all right, he's gone. This must be an inside job. It's the only way this could have happened. One of y'all is sympathetic to this Christian movement and y'all got him out of here. So Herod killed all the soldiers that had been told to watch over Peter. But then we see that he took his frustration out after he took his frustration out on the soldiers, we see also that he sulked over his failure. He went down from Judea to Caesarea and their abode. You know, if there's one thing that's true about the devil, it's the fact that he is a sore loser. The devil is a sore loser. He doesn't like to lose. But you know the good news for us is that's all he's ever going to be is a sorry, low-down loser. And if he is getting into your life and he is derailing you, you just need to step back and remind yourself that you are being derailed by a loser and that that's not who you are, that you are on the winning side and you need to be bold and step 
pulp and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I'm not going to be derailed by a loser because that's all the devil is. Always has been and always will be a loser and he always sucks about it. The same is true of those who have yielded themselves to his devices. Herod sought to advance his Amen. Thank you, buddy. You amen me again. <laughs> Herod sought to advance his kingdom by killing Christians. But although he viewed the Christians as a weak minority group, the God they served was far bigger than Herod ever was. And God intervened. When God gets involved, there's no device of man that can compete with His will. There is nothing that man can do that God can't overcome. Herod realized his defeat, and instead of owning up to his failure, he just packed up and left Judea and went to Caesarea to hide his embarrassment and sulk over his defeat. God proved His presence in overthrowing the plans of Herod. First John 4 and verse number 4 says, Ye are of God, little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But then as we continue through this passage, we see a third proof of God's presence. We see this in the remainder of the passage, starting verse 20 down through verse number 25. And here we see the proof of God's presence in the church at Jerusalem through the proof of advancement in the ministry. The proof of advancement in the ministry. The Bible tells us in Acts 2, verse number 47, if we go back to the beginning of the birth of the church, that the Lord added to the church. Now this tells me that any growth, any expansion, uh, any protection from the onslaught of the devil uh, is an evidence of the hand of God working in the midst of His church. And here in this passage we see three evidences of the presence of God as He advances the ministry in spite of the persecution they had just received. The first thing that I see that God did to advance the ministry is the judgment of Herod. We see that in verse 20 down through verse number 23. The judgment of Herod because he had raised up against the church of God. You know in Psalm 37 verse 35 down through verse number 40 David speaks of God's judgment upon those that oppress his children. Look with me at Psalm 37. This is a longer passage so I didn't put it on the screen. But look with me at Psalm 37 verse number 35. David says here, I have seen the wicked in great power, and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. There in verse number 35, David said, I've seen the wicked 
in great power. I've seen them spread themselves like a big tree. I've seen them promote themselves and exalt themselves. Uh, he said, but I've also know uh, that the Lord will deliver his children from the wicked. In Acts chapter number 12, we've seen Herod exalting himself uh, and promoting himself and lifting himself up uh, and uh, advancing himself against the children of God, but we also see God dealing with Herod. Herod thought he could lift up his hand against the children of God, but God revealed to Herod the folly of that decision. In verse number 21, it says, And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne. Now in verse number 20, we read about Tyre and Sidon, and these people had came uh, to meet with Herod, and so Herod's going to make a speech. And he made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. Herod had persecuted the church of God. Herod had martyred the men of God. Herod had raised himself up against the people of God. And now Herod is promoting himself and allowing people to promote him into a place of God himself. And he is accepting what people is putting. And he is gloating. And he is thinking that he is exalted and untouchable. And in verse number 23 it says, And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. I see the presence of the power of God in the church at Jerusalem first in the judgment of Herod but then I see the power the, the presence of the power of God in verse number 24 when we see the growth of the church. As I said when I read the passage this is my favorite verse in the whole passage. Verse number 24 but, <laughs> I love whenever this word is put in the passage of Scripture. You remember last week it said, but prayer was made of the church of God for him. And we've seen how that worked out. Now we're reading here in this passage and we see a church that's been persecuted. Then we see a king that has been killed. And then we see that the Bible says in verse number 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. What do we see going on here? We see a person who exalted himself in a human empire and he lifted his hand up against the church of the living God. God, and he thought that he could squash them. He thought that he could stop them. He thought that he could hinder them from going forward. But what happened is God stepped in and the enemy of God was annihilated and the church of God kept on going. I want to say that God promised upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and it doesn't matter what's going on in Peter's day. It doesn't matter what's going on in the governments of our day. The church of God will go forward. The gates of hell cannot stop the church of God that has the presence of God. We see the growth of the church. The, the word of God grew and multiplied. What the devil thought would stop the church instead promoted the church. What he thought would hinder the church instead helped the church. God has a way of turning things around. The third thing, the third proof of God's presence seen through the advancement of ministry is seen in verse number 25. I love this. 
In verse 25 it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now the, the English language is a, a little different right here than what we're used to, but what this means is that they left Jerusalem to go on another missions trip. So they were in Jerusalem, now they left Jerusalem to go on another missions trip. They took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now in order to get the whole picture, just real quickly, back up to verse number 12 of chapter number 12 here in the book of Acts. We see that Peter had just gotten out of prison. And he's trying to determine where is the right place to go, where do I need to be. And it says in verse number 12, and when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Now, when we read verse number 12 last week, we didn't realize the significance of John Mark being named here. But now what we're getting ready to look at, we'll see the significance of this. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Here in verse number 12, we're introduced to a young man by the name of John Mark who apparently had a godly mother because she opened her house up uh, uh, for the church to come gather here to pray. Uh, it's very possible, very likely also, uh, that she opened her house up uh, to provide a place for Barnabas and Saul uh, to stay in between their missionary trips. Whether or not she did, we don't know. Very possible. But we do know for sure that the church met together uh, at her house, and so very likely uh, uh, that John Mark, as a young man who lived in that house, uh, had heard Barnabas and Saul tell about the missions trips. Uh, they had heard them talk about preaching to the Gentiles. Uh, he had heard them talk about how God was working and how God was moving. Uh, and then his mom opened the house up and said, Peter's in jail. We need to have a prayer meeting. She opened her house up, invited people to come to her house uh, and pray day and night, day and night. And John Mark witnessed uh, this prayer meeting going on uh, in the house of Mary. Uh, he saw Peter coming from prison. Uh, he saw Peter delivered. Uh, he sees all this taking place. Uh, he sees Herod judged by God. Uh, and then he sees Barnabas and Saul say, well, uh, friends, uh, it's time for us to go preach to the Gentiles again. And John Mark, the young man uh, who has been observing uh, the presence of God, moving among the people of God, said, I want to be part of your mission work. He was motivated to serve God. You know how you can tell whether or not the presence of God is in your church? It's by asking our people being motivated to serve God. Now John Mark's an interesting fellow and the Bible records a little different, some different history about John Mark and we know at one time there was even a little contention between him and Paul. That doesn't mean that he or Paul were bad people. It means they were the same kind of people we are. That's what that means. But little did Barnabas and Saul know that this young man said, I want to go with you. He was later going to write a gospel, the gospel of Mark to the Gentile people to tell them about a Savior who came to die for their sins. You know what? You never know what God is going to do when you allow His presence to be in the midst. John Mark observed the work of God and now he wanted to be personally involved in what God was doing. You know, it's a good, a good checkpoint for us to check ourselves with once in a while and say, is our church, is the spirit of our church, is our Christianity motivating young people to want to be involved in the ministry of the Lord? We see the proof of the presence of God. Barnabas and Saul set out 
headed to the mission field with another preacher ready to serve the Lord. As we come to the end of chapter number 12, my question is this. When you look at your life, your own life personally, is there evidence of the presence of God in your life? When we look at our church, when we look at Marlbrook Baptist Church, is there evidence of the presence of God? How do we know that? Well, we can find that out by looking at this passage of Scripture. Are we receiving answers to our prayers? Is God defeating our enemies? Are we motivated and are we motivating others for the service of the Lord? If we have His presence, there is no limit to what God can do. But if we've drifted away from Him, if we've allowed sin to come into our lives, if we've allowed iniquity to dominate our life, if we've become interested and in pursuit to the wickedness of this world, if we're trying to to do church, we're trying to do Christianity in our own personal strength, then it may seem that the promises of God are null and void. But the promises of God are never null and void. His promises never fail. If it seems that there's no presence of God, the trouble is never Him, it's always me. It does good to look at this passage of Scripture. We see the presence of God in this church. We see God working in this church. We see this church going on despite persecution. It would do us good to look at this passage and then look at ourselves and say, God, where am I at? Do I have the presence of God? Is the presence of God evident in my life? Is the presence of God evident in our church? We need to seek our heart and say, Lord, help us to be Christians that experience the power and presence of God. I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are. Miss Melissa's going to come to the piano. As she plays, ask yourself this question. Is the presence of God evident in my life? Is God evident in my life? If the Lord